Today we will be in Mark chapter 10, and, and today's sermon is titled Carpe Diem, a study in the healing of Bartimaeus. If you would, turn to Mark chapter 10 and verse 46, and would you please stand for the reading of God's Word, and then we will pray together. <clears throat> And they came to Jericho. This is in verse 46. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately, he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord of the universe, great shepherd, king of all, the one who stands alone, the one who is other than, we pray to you this morning with humility in our hearts, and worship on our tongues for who You are. We pray this day that You would benefit our souls by the reading and preaching of Your Word, that You would guard me and, and what I say from anything that isn't of You. I pray that You would continually, by the power of Your Spirit, prepare the hearts of those that might hear to receive Your Word today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and everybody said, Amen. You may... You may be seated. So, uh, as Daniel said, I, I went into the well for this, but this is a very serendipitous type story. Fifteen years ago was the first time I ever spoke publicly uh, in a preaching type setting. I say preaching, but I don't want you to get like this picture in mind. I was sitting in a circle in sweats with like some college kids gathered around. And what's so uh, funny about this is I was kind of going through the chronicles of all the sermons, whatever. Most of it should just be fodder for the fire. Don't, don't ever read what you've preached in the past. It is a humbling, terrifying thing. Anyway, I'm scrolling all the way back and I remember this day so vividly. I was a college student at UNC, it was, it was roughly 15 years ago, and one Aaron Santini happened to be the FCA director for UNC at the time, and it was a Tuesday night and he was unable to come, I think they were out of town, so he had enlisted another man that you might know the name of, Mr. Kevin Mark. If you don't, he's not relevant to the story, but if you do, I can see you smiling. He ran into some traffic. 
And so he called today to, to tell us that we were going to cancel the FCA meeting. Now, mind you, I have been a Christian for all of about 11 seconds, and I am deeply burdened and convicted by the work of the gospel in my heart, but I know nothing. I would read the Bible, and when I found a word I did not understand or a name I could not read, I just skipped over to the next story. It was like, we'll get to that chapter another time. In my conviction, I would not let us not gather. And so at 7 p.m., I'm wearing my UNC football-issued blue sweats, and I'm waddling up to Nottingham Field to meet in the, uh, the press box with all the other athletes to open up my Bible because I'm convinced that I can, I can preach this, this study. Knowing that I really know nothing about preaching, I know I must bring my Bible, and I, use, I should like read it as I talk. That's like my view of preaching at the time. If you're a high school kid in the room, don't do it that way. I preached the only message I could possibly connect to. It was a story of a blind man named Bartimaeus, who at the time I called him Blind Bart. Blind Bart... His story connected with my story in a deep and profound way. Though I had never been blind, I was blind in spirit. And as a 20-year-old kid or a 19-year-old kid, I knew nothing about life. I knew nothing about who I was. But I knew two things for sure. Number one, the gospel had done something deep and profound in my heart. And number two, I could not help but share this burden or share this story with other people. That was true with me from the moment I was saved. And so on that night, I, I, uh, I preached a message, and as I was re- recollecting on it, uh, or reflecting on it this week, I found that it was really interesting in all my years now, I guess I'm not that old, but years of understanding the Bible and learning about Christ and His Word and preaching and the Gospels and the life and times of Jesus. The central point of that message all those days ago is the central point today. See, the Bible promises that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a simple and profound message. We're reading the story today about a man. A man who took an opportunity because as far as we can tell in the study of Scripture, both before this story and after this story in time, this was Blind Bart's only opportunity. Maybe you could say it like this. He seized the day. He realized his blindness. He realized the Lord's royalty and power. I wonder today, like I wondered all those years ago, if there's any person in here present at the crossing today who this might be my only opportunity to to you to share what the gospel has done in my own life, that it may happen to you. And and let me take it just a step further, maybe something not in my notes. Uh, Heaven forbid this is true, but maybe today is the only opportunity you may have to hear the gospel and its power in your life. I don't say that to be like, make you nervous or or, or pretend that I have any knowledge of something negative that is going to happen, but the reality of our circumstance in our nature is, is that we do not know who in this church has proclaimed and seen and sought and, and, and 
bowed themselves before the throne of grace and who has. And the other thing we don't know is what tomorrow would bring. Maybe you could suffice it to say the introduction goes like this. Today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. Okay, this is a great story. And I want to offer some background and I want to lay out the scene. And then we're going to go through each line of the scripture through the story so we can gain a full understanding. And along the way, I have four points I'd like to highlight. Now, if you're a highlighter in your Bible, if you're one of those people, uh, you can certainly do so. I'm more of a black pen underliner type of the guy. Um, But these would be things I want to take away that you may not see at first glance. First, the background. Jesus, at this time in his life, is at the end of his ministry. He's coming not only to the end of his days on earth, but he's coming to the end of his life. We are nearing the springtime Passover in this season. He's making his way from the north to the south, from Galilee to Judea. He's worked his way down into this valley of a a village that became a massive city called Jericho. And he's beginning his ascent about 3,500 feet up to the south to a city called Jerusalem, where we will embark, as if you carry on in the Gospel of Mark, into the triumphant entry to his false judgment, to his demise, to his shame, to his pain, to his ultimate death, and then the moving of the stone and resurrection Sunday is yet but a week away in this story. He's well known in the area. The scripture says, as we read, that there was a mass around him. Uh, Jericho is a hopping city at the time. It is like Old Town Friday night down there. For two reasons. One, it it was a major city for trade. It was also the Passover season. Jews from all over the region were flooding into the area. Um, from far and wide to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem, just a mere four or five hours walk away. And there was this Jesus of Nazareth who was on the scene, who had been producing miracles of one kind or another all over the land. And he was beginning to drive a crowd or start a, a, a gather a crowd, a rather, a rather large crowd. Jesus had been known to heal in many ways. He'd healed the sick, the lame, the outcast. He'd healed the possessed. He'd even raised the dead. Not too far from Jericho. He displayed power. Power over the Word and the law. He displayed power, and maybe this is a big deal for the Pharisees at the time, and those of you that are studiers of your Bible, He had declared His power over the Sabbath. He'd even shown power over nature. And as he's exiting this town, beginning his trek up the hill towards Jerusalem, he sees, or he hears about blind Bartimaeus. Now, a little background on Bartimaeus. Mark, because in the text it says that blind Bartimaeus heard about the, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, and then in the, in the Gospel of Mark, if you're in the ESV, it, it says, for he was the son of Timaeus. Now this is a redundancy because Bar Timaeus is literally the name son of Timaeus. So Mark says, this was son of Timaeus who was called the son of Timaeus. Thank you for that, Mark. I really appreciate that. Timaeus is translated noble man. 
So just a little text here. Here is a man. We don't know how long he was blind. We don't know why he was blind. We don't know if he was blind from birth. But to be blind in the Hebrew culture was a curse. It was the lowest of the low. You are the scum. You are below the sinner. You are below the unclean. You have been punished by God. And so there is this beggar on the side of the road who's a fixture, and people are calling out, son of a nobleman, son of a nobleman, son of a nobleman. Hey, look, there's the son of the nobleman. I'm not the son of a nobleman. Stop calling me that. I am blind and poor. His life is in defiance of what he was called to be. The Hebrew custom and law that he would have been aware of at the time pigeons him as someone that isn't even worth touching. And there he is left to the side of the road to beg for alms so that he can find his next meal. And the last portion of the background that I want to share is this story is settled right after a pretty tenuous season where Jesus is trying to get his disciples to understand what he means and how the kingdom of God works. In Mark, um, Mark 9.33, I just want to read out just a, a few verses here so that we'd understand Jesus' relationship with the disciples at the time. Mark 9.33 um, s- says this. Well, there's a discussion with the disciples and Jesus about who's the, who is the greatest. And when he was in the house, he asked them, Why are you, what are you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and said to them, If any of you wishes to be first, he must be last and the servant of all. In 10.35 he says this. There it is. This is another instance where Jesus is having to correct his disciples because though they understand Jesus, they believe in Jesus, they do not see what he's set out to accomplish. It says this, and James the sons of uh, James and the sons of Zebedee came up to him and asked him, "Teacher, what uh, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you." Could you imagine the gall to ask that question? And Jesus responds, and he said to them, "What do you want me to do for you?" Now remember, if you're a highlighter underliner, you might want to put that one right down because we're going to come back to it. And he said to them, grant us to sit at your right and at your left hand in glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. If you were able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism of which I am baptized. And later on, down in verse uh, 43, he says, um, and Jesus, or verse 42, and Jesus called to him and said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord over them and their great ones exercise authority over them but so it shall be with you that whoever would be great among you must be a servant he sets out an example for the disciples okay guys you see that the the gentiles have people that lord over them and you think this is how the kingdom works but in fact it's that upside down for to be the greatest means to be the least they're not getting it This is about being a servant. Next, we get to the scene. 
He's leaving Jericho. There's this large crowd around him. He's set. His mind is set on Jerusalem. There's dust peddled up in the air from the trail. There's a lot of noise and the muddling of different languages screaming about him. I'm sure that there's a lot of smells as people prepare for the Passover. It's a hopping time because Jesus is on the scene. It's spring. The river, of, the river Jordan is high. Jericho's called the City of Palms. I'm trying to set this scene. It would be very hot for you. And here is this fixture in the road. A beggar who is seen by nobody. The Hebrew status is the lowest of the low. Once I, I, I've done a lot of ministry just with the homeless people in former churches that I've worked with. And uh, I, I recall one time when a man said to me when I was asking him about the hardest thing about being homeless. My question was to help him. Well, it gets cold. Okay, I'll provide warmth. I don't have any money. We can provide some answers. He looked at me, and with tears in his eyes, he said, the hardest thing about being homeless is that I will go days without people being willing to look me in the eye. There are members of this society today that are unseen and in the public view that are stepped over as they lay across the road. And it was the same then as it is today. Luke, the account in Luke says, um, in the, of the story of Bartimaeus, that he heard the ruckus coming because his ears would have been doing duty. You know, he can't see anything. He's looking to hear for people so that he can beg for alms. And he hears the large crowd, and, and the account in Luke says, who is that that's coming? And somebody calls out to him, it is Jesus of Nazareth. That's the scene. So let's get into the text here. It says, and when they came to Jericho, he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, and they, meaning Jesus and the disciples. And there was the blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus would have been set with other beggars, with the other lame, with the other sick, with the other mentally ill, with the other disfigured. This was a portion as you were outside of the gates where you kind of scurried along. You automatically were in a real big hurry to get out of the way of all that were begging at the time. The word used for scream here is the same word that is used in the account of Mark when Jesus is healing the men possessed by demons. This is not a get your, like, I hate, um, <clears throat> Jesus, excuse me. There is desperation in this language, and ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you that's essential to the story. He cries out, not Jesus of Nazareth. Remember, there's a lot of people here. There's a lot of people named Jesus at the time. There's a lot of people from Nazareth, just north of town. He hears about Jesus of Nazareth understanding, I'm sure, hearing witness of all the miracles and the things that they had done, the rumors that He could be the Messiah, and He calls out in confidence and desperation, Jesus, or Son of David, have mercy on me. This is what I want to highlight today. This is your first highlight point. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David is a messianic term. It means Messiah. The best way to translate it. This blind Bartimaeus, blind Bart here, is identifying Jesus' lineage as king. And the prophecies that came from it saying that one would come from the line of David, 
the seed of David, and that the greatest of David's son, the greater son, would be the Messiah. Matthew's genealogy, if you're a genealogy person, you should read that first chapter of Matthew. Don't skip it like I did. Um, It's a genealogy of the line of Jesus from the father's side, and Luke opens with the line of Jesus, the genealogy from his mother's side, from Mary. Both are inside of the line of David. Maybe you could say it like this. The blind beggar on the side of the road is calling the carpenter from Nazareth the king of the world. And he's screaming it at the top of his lungs. He'd certainly heard about the healings and buzzing in the street. It was the blind man who sees the long-promised Savior of the Jews. And how did our faithful disciples respond? And many rebuked him sternly, telling him to be quiet. Telling him to shut up. We're on a mission. We have things to do. Jesus may have another healing. Get out of the way. Quiet down. Can you see here that Bart is not the only blind guy in this story? How is the understanding that the first will be last? To have authority and greatness, you must be the servant of all, working for the disciples at this point. Do you see why we went back in the text to see Jesus reiterating this point? Because they're not understanding how the kingdom of God works. Because of reasons like this. They're thinking, it's not enough that this beggar is just here taking up space. Now this guy has to make a ruckus. He's interrupting our day. You are obviously not in with Jesus because if you were in with Jesus, you wouldn't be blind like you are. What an inconvenience as we're making our way to Jerusalem. I'm sure something exciting will happen there. Don't we think the same way? You know how hard it is to get high school kids to get other high school kids to come to church with them? You got to pick them up. You got to invite them. You got to tell them the time. You got to text them the address. Then you got to sit by them. And then you have to introduce people to them. And then they're never going to know where the book of the Bible is. So you have to get it there for them. And then it's embarrassing. And then, heaven forbid, they're going to want to go to lunch. I certainly don't have time for these things or for the poor. Oh, there's just there's so many problems and addictions and they don't smell good. And it. And, and then, then they, they, they say weird things and it's out of order and it's out of, it's out of line. and it, it's, just, it, it's just so inconvenient. You know what we should do? We should find a lot of people that are rich, that are young and good looking and powerful. Like, like, you know what we should have? We should have a church full of rich young rulers. That'd be a lot simpler, wouldn't it? I remember a story about a church uh, pastoral transfer. I don't remember where. I believe it was in Texas, some large church, and they had hired some big famous guy who had written a lot of books, and he was pretty radical and young, and the church was young, and there was a lot of people in the church, and they were really excited about him, and so this was the day that he was going to come, and they were all in the foyer, thousands of people waiting to see the first message from this new pastor, and the worship band plays, and there's nowhere to be seen, and there's a little commotion up in front, because there was this guy with shaggy hair who smelled real bad. He was homeless, he was singing real loud, and he was sitting in the front row, and he was causing a big problem, and so we don't want the pastor to see that wherever he is, so they usher him to the back row, and and he's pretty reluctant, and they move him to the back, 
And then they finally give the announcements and they bring the pastor up. And it was the homeless bum. It was the pastor dressed as the homeless guy whose first message was a lesson in caring for others. Are we blinded? One of the things that keeps us from seizing the day, one of the things that you may consider in your own blindness is that you are so convinced that you already have seized the day. Or maybe you could say, you're so convinced of all that you can see. Are we too busy for the daily mission of God? Well, what's Bart's response? And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you. Bartimaeus cries out all the more. Cries out. It says here in the text, um, I want to read it from the scripture here. He says, and many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. Alistair Begg, one of the great uh, pastors uh, today, said, you will never see Jesus as a reality until you see him as a necessity. You will never call out for a Savior until you know that there is sin you need saving from. Because the man cries out and when the mob turns on him, he's unafraid. This is not somebody who's looking for convenience or who wants to be uh, maybe the lottery winner of the next healing. This is a man who understands the depravity of his own soul. He doesn't just need to see. He's calling out because he realizes he needs a Savior. We need a Savior. We by nature are so blind that we cannot see that we are blind. We need God to reveal to us our blindness and sin. And in that moment, we cry out in desperation and brokenness, Oh, loving God, have mercy on me. There are folks in the mob who wanted to see Jesus do His next miracle. There are those in the crowd that wanted to be a part of the buzz, but there was one man on that day who saw who Jesus was and he was willing to do anything to receive it. And Jesus tells him when he stops, he says, bring him to me. I don't know what eating crow is. Old people say that. Oh, you're eating crow now. I'm not sure, but I think this is an example of it. The very people that told him to shut up are now told to stand the man up and bring him him to Jesus. Rise, they say, he's calling you. What an interesting thing is I wrote this in my notes all those years ago, the first time I preached it, and Bart would have said, but I've been calling him. Well, now, friend, he's calling you. The one thing that Bart would come to realize, Jesus had been calling him far before he called on on Jesus. That our blindness needs help before we would see it. And through the lips of the most reluctant missionaries comes the Word of God. Come. It's the best picture here I love to see that the deniers become the inviters. I was a denier. I can proclaim that. I wasn't just agnostic, kind of a middle of the road. That's not really my nature. If I wasn't for you, I I was against you. If you weren't my friend, you were my enemy. And when I realized my blindness, I became a 
a reluctant missionary all myself, all my own. Asking people to come because I was now an inviter. The man springs to his feet. And he comes up, he throws off his cloak. His only possession, he's poor. Isn't that a great little footnote there? That all that matters to you before you become a Christian doesn't matter so much anymore in comparison to what we need in Jesus. Rust and dust and moth will come. There are no U-Hauls to the grave. This blind man's understanding eternity. Throws off his cloak. Springs up. I'd love to see that. Certainly needs help getting over to Jesus. But I want to spend some time on Jesus stopped. These two words. These words that are written in my Bible here over the top of it. Words of grace. I admit that I would have been a member of the mob in the crowd telling them to shut up because I have an agenda. I want to see things happen and we don't have time to stop. And yet, as I read the Gospels over and over, a little tidbit for you, if you're a reader of your Bible, you need to stay in the Gospel all year round. Find time to read this book because you're going to see the most consistent pattern in the four Gospels is Jesus' compassion for the scum of the world. And I ask myself and you this question, are you interruptible? Is your plan for your life so laid out, so scheduled, so regimented that we would step over those in desperate need to get on our way to what Jesus has us to do? What PTA meeting, what football game, what workout session, what morning smoothie is more important than the soul of man? It's not that these things are bad because they're not. The question is not, are you doing all these things all the time? It is, are you interruptible? Foster care teaches you how to be interruptible. It may be the single greatest inconvenience of my life and also the most sanctifying work in my heart. What all the people do, what do people do that you don't have time for? I beseech you, church, don't rebuke them, call them. Those who have offended you, those who are in the way, those who are bothering you may be there on purpose. Jesus is heading to His death. His focus on Jerusalem at this point after Basically, in the Gospel of Matthew, after Matthew chapter 12, he, he's kind of done teaching the Pharisees, and you see this laser focus towards Passover and Jerusalem. He knows he's going to die, and nothing's going to stop him. But a blind beggar who calls his name strikes his attention. And he says this, And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? Humble words. Amazing question, but do you recognize it? Just one chapter before, the disciples are discussing and two of them bring Jesus over saying, hey, we want you to grant anything we ask of you. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, put us on your right and left hand in glory. Exalt us. 
We want to win the lottery. We want to be rich and powerful. We want to be known and be seen. Who's had that prayer before? And the beggar cries out for mercy. He's saying, I have no reason to ask you of anything. I'm begging you, Lord, take away from me what I deserve. My judgment and sin. Not exaltation, not fame, not comfort. I'm still going to be poor, but I wish to regain my sight. No other way to confirm the healings. I mean, it's kind of funny if you think about it. He'd probably heard the buzz. People come up to him, Bartimaeus, you're not going to believe it. I've been healed of my sight. This is, as my recount, maybe the third healing of sight in the gospel to this time. And blind Bartimaeus would say, great, how do I know that that's true? And he would say, well, the sky is blue. And Bart would go, what's blue? He's a man who has to, we are dependent upon our sight in our nature. You go to the doctor, they want to see if you have a disease. They don't say, well, let me listen for it. I'll feel around. No, they say, give me a biopsy, we'll put it under the scope, and I'll see what it looks like. We're dependent upon our sight. It brings assurance to our life. Our evidence is dependent upon what we can see, but the man can see nothing. And so he calls out for the Messiah by faith. And this is what he says. Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Now this word here, rabbi, is very specific. Only one other time in Scripture do we see this version of the word rabbi. And it's, it's the alliteration rabbioni. Now, this is an important distinction for any of you who want to grow in the depth of understanding of your Bible. You have to grow in the depth of understanding of language. It's a tall task. Just start chipping away at it. I encourage you to do so. In Jewish customs, there was rabbi, which meant teacher. Rabbi only meant Lord and Master. And equivalently, this is a statement of faith. This is a declaration of God's, or of Jesus' Lordship as God. The blind man who has no evidence walks to him by faith and says, Lord and Master, would you regain my sight? I believe that this is a healing, but I also believe that this is a salvation. This is a confession of faith. This is a model of what salvation would look like after the cross. Conviction repentance, need for salvation, confession of the mouth, and belief by faith. Think about it like this. Jesus heals this man by grace, but what does He say at the end of the text? Your faith has made you well. We are saved by grace through faith. As He carries on, He says that I may recover my sight. what do you want me to do for you? The question today is not to carry this too far and to keep within context of the message. I would say, be careful what you are asking of the Lord. We can ask anything. We have grace to do so. And we ask you to be bold in your, in your claims of faith and to, to pray and connect with God in, in real ways. But beloved, I pray that you never move beyond the doctrine and the need of your salvation. That we dilly-dally with the Word because we know that we're saved and we've made some claim by faith or we've prayed the prayer or we've said the thing or we go to church or we give our tithe. 
And somewhere along the way, we lose our desperation to look the Lord in the eyes and ask this faint and hard question. What do you want me to do for you? The question is not what's on your list, but what's at the top of your priority list? Is it the eternal things? Or is it the things of practical need? Jesus wants to bring our practical need. He heals the man. It's just an encouragement for us to be careful with these things. And Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. What an example. Jesus is setting this example for multiple reasons. He stops so that He can correct the disciples that still don't get it. He stops so that the crowd can see that Jesus deeply loves this man and has time for him. He stops so that the prayer, that's what this is, this prayer of blind Bartimaeus can be a testimony again confirming the Lord Jesus' power. But maybe the most powerful thing of all is the example that He's displaying for us. As we read in Mark 9, He says that the first would be last. That in order to be the authority, you must be a servant to all. Blind Bartimaeus walks up to Jesus and says, Lord and Master. And Jesus replies with the words of the servant, what can I do for you? To be great in the kingdom of God is to be a servant. The king does what the cursed beggar asked him to do. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is our fourth highlight of the day. We're almost done here. This man's faith was key. He walks to Jesus. The faith has made him well. And he sees instantly right there. One gospel account says that he touched him. The other one says it was spoken with his word. I'm here to tell you. It doesn't really matter. He was blind. And then he could see. It just you got to be careful with texts like this, not to bring illustration out of every little point. But if we can, if you would humor me for a second, can you just put yourself in the shoes of that man there? Your eyes are opening for the first time and light is flooding in. Cutlers. Understanding. And as he cracks his eyes open, the first thing that he sees is the face of his Messiah. What would you do? I mean, really think. Would you run back into Jericho and see your family? I'd want to see a mirror. What is, what is this thing? <laughs> How's it come along over all these, all these years? The sights, would you go back to your buddies? I'm freed, I'm freed. A testimony to all. Instead, all the Scripture says is that He followed Jesus. Single greatest statement of confirmation of his salvation. Contrast this against the rich young ruler. Maybe the saddest words in all of Scripture. Jesus invites him, if your understanding of the rich young ruler is anywhere, that he invites him to essentially become one of the twelve. There are thirteen invitations to follow him in this deep and profound way. Personal invitations. And the rich young ruler hangs his head, for it says he had much. And he walks away. And we see the blind beggar who sees Jesus before he ever gains his sight cast everything aside, leaving his cloak there on the side of the road and follows Jesus up the road to Jerusalem until the Lord's certain death. 
we're almost finished here. Sozo. This is the last confirmation of this. This is where I spent the majority of my study. The word sozo. Can you just do me a favor so I know you're awake? I'm going to help you. Say sozo. Ah, very good. You just learned something. You're welcome. Sozo. Your faith has made you well. The statement your major well is, is the word healed. But the word there is sozo. We have a word for healed, a very specific word, and it's not sozo. Sozo is a word related to salvation. Your faith has brought you to salvation. The man got more than he bargained for in just seeing. It's a picture of a sinner. He's a blind man by the side of the road. He is healed, indicated by his sight. He is saved, indicated by his following. And no way out of his condition other than mercy. Here we are because we've been approached by Jesus somewhere along the road. And Jesus called us to Himself. Do you see the picture in the Gospel? Do you see how this story of a blind beggar relates to you and me? By coming to Jesus and calling Him for mercy, Jesus will answer your call. Whoever hears this call will be saved. It's a reminder for us today that Jesus is still here. That Jesus still hears your cry. Jesus still cares. Jesus still stops. Jesus still listens. And Jesus still saves. And all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I must say to you today that today is the day of salvation. Maybe today is the day where you hear it clearly for the first time. Maybe God is using me, this unwilling missionary with poor speech and a selfish heart to say, come, for He's calling you. And my encouragement to you today, if this is the first time you've heard this clearly, is seize the day. For it is the day of salvation. And if this is the 5,000th time you've heard this, and you've been sitting in the, cheer, in the chairs for many days, seize the day. And stop. Listen to that whisper of the Spirit on your heart. Do the work of eternal things alongside your daily duty. Maybe this is the day where we all could come closer to our Messiah. Last thing, as I leave with this, Fanny Crosby, if you don't know her, you ought to, is one of the greatest American hymnists in the world. She was blind from the age of six, believed to write over 80,000 hymns. Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry, while on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you today for your word, for your majesty, for your might. We thank you today for that march up the hill to Jerusalem, but mostly today we thank you for your compassion on us sinners, for your willingness to stop, 
pray, Lord, that the heart that you have would be also indwelled in us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen.